Before we get started, just a reminder that you can listen to both of our weekly Monday and Wednesday episodes of the Tom and Hawk Football Show on Amazon Music and Alexa for free. Just ask Alexa to play the Tom and Hawk Football Show to listen directly through your Echo device. Welcome to the Tom and Hawk Football Show. I'm Andrew Hawkins. And I'm Joe Thomas. And coming up on today's show... A look at a very tight AFC playoff race. You got Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Cleveland all right there, and they all play each other down the stretch. Mm -hmm. And Tampa Bay Buccaneers attorney Bruce Arians is going back on his word and talking out of both sides of his mouth. I'm shocked. Bruce Arians, he's a receiver. He's going to look past anything that's going on with Antonio Brown or any player that helps him win because that's why he's in the position. Plus, the firing heard across the globe. He kind of lorded over his players with fear, and that's how he motivated them. But those are not things that really play in the NFL game. All of that and much, much more coming up on this Christmas edition of the Tom and Hawk Football Show. Let's get to it. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Tom and Hawk Football Show. Joe Thomas. Andrew Hawkins, the Tomahawk clan, back in it again. Joe, how you doing today, man? Yeah, it was uh, it was a crazy weekend for me. I was in Cleveland trying to do the Raiders-Browns game, um, and I inadvertently got my first scoop of my media first career. Scoop. Being, yeah, you know, I'm not an insider, and I think people kind of confuse the difference between an analyst and an insider sometimes. Insiders are the ones that are working the back alleys and hanging out in restaurants trying to bend the ears of general managers and executives and buying drinks and dinner for scouts to try to get you know inside information on people whereas Ooh. analysts like you and I Dirty we're just lazy you know we're guys that we don't want to do any of that <laughs> we don't want to have to sit on the phone all day text messaging everybody looking for favors so that we can get inside information we just watch what happens and then give our opinion it's a much better world but i got my first scoop over the weekend saturday right when i landed in cleveland uh-huh. to do the raiders browns game uh, I bumped into one of the NFL Network executives when we were in the hotel, and he told me, hey, don't unpack your stuff. Don't get too comfortable because uh, the game might get moved till Monday. And at that point, nobody had said anything, and it wasn't really like a secret or anything, but I had a, a Cleveland radio station interview to do right after that. And I mentioned that, and they were like, whoa, that's huge information. What a skill. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? Okay, I guess I, I'm kind of an insider now. But then um, – Obviously, the Browns game happened, which made me sad since that's uh, primarily what controls my mood and my Your emotions life. every so, single week yeah. because we're true Browns fans. It completely is the rudder of our lives is the Browns winning or losing. Uh, and then I got a flat tire on the way in here today and my headphones didn't work. So we're like recording an hour later than we should be. And I am a stickler for a schedule. So it's so been in- up and down. But uh, I feel like talking to you, Hawk, like always, it always makes my life a little bit better. Right. But you don't pay me uh, as a therapist, which sucks, although I do <laughs> have the same effect on your life. So you got your first scoop. Yes. When somebody told you the game might be moved. Yes. Did you confirm it or did you just go live on radio and then just relay that information? Because technically, that's not a scoop. That's a guess. Yeah, it was a guess. So it technically wasn't okay. a scoop. You're right. It was totally a guess okay. because they're acting. They're asking me on the show, like, "Oh, what do you think should happen?" And I said, "Well, honestly, I think the game might get moved till Monday because there's all these positives. And there's no way they're going to make the Browns play down like 20 starters uh, at that time, and they ended up playing down 10 starters. But at that point, I was like, "Well, they have to either move the game or change mm. the protocol to be able to allow guys to come back." sooner which in the end they ended up doing both of those things so i feel like it was kind of a scoop in a analyst type way 
All right. Well, you just guessed and you got it right. It was a guess and I got it right. So, you know, I wouldn't play with that fire if I were you, because even though you're not an insider, they will judge you by insider standards mm. for sure. Did you have any insiders upset that you got credit for that scoop? I'm sure, you know, the Ian Rappaport's and the Adam Schefter's of the world, they were probably uh -huh. upset that I beat them to it and they didn't give me credit, I'm sure, when they stole it and put it onto their Twitter. But uh, that is, thus is the life of an insider. It's it's a violent civil war out there between these insiders in the NFL. They don't play around. No, there's actually insider beef. Like, oh, for the sure. insiders between networks. They hate each other. They, I, I, I'm like. They don't like each other. They don't, they don't get along. It's not like a. It's not friendly. It's not a fake thing because they're all fishing for the information. I, I'm an easy person to give information to because to your earlier point, I could care less. <laughs> and. When people are like, hey, don't tweet this out or don't, I'm like, dude, have, have I, have you ever seen me no. run as a source to anything? Honestly, you can tell me anything, which is why I'm a good friend. People can tell me anything. I'm a vault. Not because I can keep secrets. I genuinely uh, don't care. So you can tell me anything. <laughs> I'll, I'll hear it in the moment and move on. So, you know, I have a lot of friends. You get a lot of yeah. actual real inside information that you don't go public with because ultimately it's not worth it for you right yeah honestly i think that's the best way to do it hawk and it's, it's sort of like laziness that has led me to being <laughs> a better analyst because what you do then is you have people that are willing to talk to you in the nfl because they don't feel like they're have to be guarded that you're going to go and run and tattle on them yep. the network plus you also get accurate information like so many times insiders are being fed bs from scouts and general managers and coaches because those guys have an angle to play, right? They're trying yep. to give information to Rappaport or Schefter about this person or that person in exchange for a quid pro quo, like, hey, they're going to say something nice about me. Or on the other side of it, they've got a beef against whoever they're trying to rat out. And so they're given information that may not be entirely correct and that they know is going to go and become part of the NFL news sphere and uh -huh. become part of NFL history and be sort of intertwined into what actually is going on. Um, but as an analyst, like there, without that fear from players, we actually get the correct information and we're able to develop our opinions on what's going on because we're actually getting good information and people are willing to talk to us. And you could fake it, right? Because you can, why would you give me information that I know is coming and I go live with that information as opposed to knowing that information and faking a take, like I know what I'm talking about, so that when said information actually happens, everyone's like, man, you're so great at this. That's actually the win. Um, yeah. It, this is this is relevant to today's topic, this whole media conversation, because we're going to be talking about coaches in this episode of the Tomahawk Football Show. I have never had such a great relationship with coaches in the NFL um, until – I became a sports media member of, I want to say, I don't want to say of a certain stature, but of a, of a certain respect, right? Once people started respecting me as an analyst and understanding I had a voice, man, I'm talking about coaches that I know for 100% fact, hate my guts. I mean, I'm talking <laughs> Merry Christmas text. Who would hate your guts? That's what I can't figure out. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I don't. Not everyone likes me, Joe. I know you like me, and I appreciate that. Uh, it's something I've never understood. You're so likable. But I, I, I think sometimes, you know, like you know how I am socially. I'm a little socially awkward or anxiety ridden if I don't know a certain person or we don't have a relationship. 
like our earlier relationship. Yeah, it takes you a little while to warm up. But you're very disarming because of your size. Yeah. Nobody walks in the room and is like, oh, that guy's going to whip my ass. I better watch out for him. Yeah, until I pull the gun out. No, I'm kidding. All right. So, I mean, I mean but it's like coaches, you know, they, it comes across a little, hey, this guy thinks he's better than everyone. You've said this before. And if I've never got the opportunity to kind of break that wall down, yeah. then that's just where it stays. So, there are coaches that aren't like, yo, hey, you know, they don't exactly get along with me. But when I got in the media – Everyone starts loving me then because they're like, I want you to talk nice about me or at least don't talk bad about me. Yes. Don't call for my firing. Mm -hmm. And again, this this will this will have a relevant uh, um, connection to this episode later on. But before we get to that, first topic, Joe, we got the Browns. They lost a pivotal one on Monday as the Raiders were able to keep their playoff hopes alive with a game winning field goal. Cleveland dropped all the way down to 12th in the playoff standings. But, Joe, there are three games left. They play the Green Bay Packers, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Cincinnati Bengals. Can the Brownies pull it off against a tough schedule down the stretch to make it into the playoffs? Absolutely they can. And I think the key for the Browns is that they're playing two teams from the AFC North down the stretch, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. The NFL did a great job crafting the schedule this year where there's a lot of intra-division games down the stretch. And being that like everybody except for a couple teams on the high end and the low end of the bell curve are right around 500, this season in the playoff race is going to come right down to the wire. And it's no different in the AFC and in the AFC North in particular because you got Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, and Cleveland all right there, and they all play each other down the stretch. Mm -hmm. So the key game right now for the Browns is what happens on Saturday, Christmas Day, against the Green Bay Packers. That really is going to determine the rest of their season. Yes, they're probably going to need a little bit of help from somebody else, but it's not like sitting there and you need Jacksonville to go on a run and beat right. Green Bay and to beat Arizona and Dallas to, to be able to give yourself a chance. They're right there. They need some things that might happen or might not happen. There may be coin flips to happen, and then they'll be able to get in the playoffs as long as they win out. But it's going to have to start with Green Bay, which is obviously going to be their most difficult task. Still a ton of guys for Cleveland on the COVID list, and now they have to play on a short week going to Green Bay on Christmas Day because, remember, their game was Saturday and it was going to be the next Saturday. So they were going to have a regular week to prepare for Green Bay, but because the game was moved from Saturday to Monday, mm. now it's almost like a Thursday night game where they're basically just going to have a couple walkthroughs and they got to go and play the football game where Green Bay gets extra rest. So the disadvantage is clearly on the side of the Cleveland Browns, but if Baker Mayfield was ever given a laundry list of beefs to be able to gather and muster all of his troops behind him and be galvanized together to kind of win one for the city of Cleveland. It's right now to go into Green Bay, who's playing lights out football, who's already won their division mm -hmm. and might be kind of coasting into the playoffs. I think the Brownies have a great opportunity to kind of surprise people going up to Green Bay and getting the win against Aaron Rodgers. It does seem like a perfect trap game for the, the Green Bay Packers. Bingo. Like, they're riding high. Everyone's like, you have a favorable schedule down the stretch. They've probably been the most consistent team to date in a year where nobody's been consistent. So they definitely hold the keys to the NFC. It does seem like an opportunity where the Browns can sneak up on them. All right, so I'm going to – because you are a homer mm -hmm. to the Browns, Correct. Um, and it's easy for you to say they can, you know, they could. Will they? And not just will they, okay, I'm just going to pick them and then no one's going to care. 
We're going to call back to this moment. So I want you to put your own yeah. sports media career on the line in this. I will. Will the Browns beat the Packers? Is that real life assessment from Joe Thomas? Or is it just because you have all your Browns paraphernalia in the yeah, background? That's true. They've paid for your fancy, yep. you know, lowly farm that is like that's right. 70,000 acres, mansion, 22 bedroom, quote unquote, farm, ranch that you live on. Do you really think? The, the Browns will beat the Packers this week. Still grinding it out, hand-suckling all those calves on the farm, trying to make every yes. uh, every last penny to be able to support Andrew Hawkins and his lavish lifestyle that I have to on this <laughs> podcast. But actually, this is the way I'm going to put it so that you understand. Andrew Hawkins was not the tallest man okay. in NFL history. No. He was not the fastest, nope. but he was the hungriest. That's what allowed him to have mm. such a great Hall of Fame receiver career in Cincinnati and Cleveland and then finish with a Super Bowl victory uh, in New England. And that's exactly where the Browns are right now. They are hungry because they need every uh -huh. single game. And on top of that, not only do they need every single game, they need every single drive. Their season is literally on the line every single drive. They are banged up with injuries. They've got a ton of guys on the COVID list that may or may not be back for the Saturday game against the Green Bay Packers. It's a very weird case you're making for the Browns winning this game. And Green Bay doesn't really need the game. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, he's got the toe. They've got plenty of excuses why they should just kind of put it on cruise control, get to the playoffs, and then turn it back on, which I think this season, more than any season with all the parity we have, is the wrong approach because we talked about this in past episodes. It's Christmas party. It starts at 7. It's 6.30 right now, and you got two hours worth of stuff to do. So you're racing around the house with incredible focus, improving yourself, improving your team, cleaning up, getting everything in the oven so that things can get ready, whereas Green Bay has got two hours before the Christmas party starts, and they only got 30 minutes <laughs> of stuff to do. So they're going to sit on the couch. They're going to crack a 73 Kolsch beer. They might even have a little wine to wash it down. They're going to start eating appetizers, and all of a sudden, gonna be hammered. 7 o'clock rolls around, and they forgot to do the few things that they had to do, and the guests are showing up. So I really like Cleveland in this situation because they're the team that has more to more to lose. They're the team that has more on the line. And I think that Cleveland <laughs> is going to win this game because we are right now in the Baker Mayfield cycle where nobody believes in him. Nobody believes in the team. And this is where you get the best out of him. He's going to have a great game, especially knowing that everybody's going to be watching on Christmas Day. They're going to be comparing him to Aaron Rodgers. This is the moment that Baker Mayfield shines and the Cleveland Browns get a win. I love the take. I love the passion. We definitely going to have consequences that if you're wrong, if you're wrong, Ooh, I will accept them. Um, let me think about this. We'll, we'll think of some good consequences. I think we might, you'd have, you'd have to go through a whole episode of the Tom and Hawk football show. Anytime you speak, you have like 35 seconds to talk oh, wow. each time. And then we're going to put a buzzer on you. And it's going to be very hard for us to make our points in 35 seconds. So this is going to be like torture. It, it sounds like <laughs> that is low-key, like, criticism on how I can be a better podcast co-host. <laughs> no. No, because no, because it goes both ways. Yeah, oh, so if I you're like right, this. I'm limited to 35 seconds every time we talk about a given topic. All right. Let's talk about uh, the rest of the AFC playoff race. I'm interested to get okay. your take because right now, this AFC playoff race, it's tighter than Miami's after those big squats that I did yesterday. Uh, who are the teams that you see winning their division? Uh, and then who are your wild card teams? I haven't worked out since June. Um, Perfect. To double down on that. So your hammies are feeling great. 
They are loose. Miami's, they're tight, actually, because they haven't been stretched in a very long time or have been uh, made to do anything strenuous. But, all right, so who do I think is winning each division? The AFC North is the biggest toss-up. But I'm actually going to stick with, I think the Ravens end up pulling it out. It's wild that just literally two two two-point conversions and – I mean, the Ravens are in a really good spot, not just in the, the the division, but in the AFC conference as a whole. So I'm gonna my guess is the Ravens have a strong down the stretch, and they end up winning the AFC North. The Chiefs are gonna win their division. The Colts will win, and oh man, the Patriots. The Patriots pull it out in the AFC East. Mm. The only team that I would disagree on that one is I think Buffalo is going to win the AFC East. I just think that where the Patriots are right now, teams are starting to see where Mac Jones' weaknesses are, and they're realizing, hey, if we can stop the run and commit to that, and we just don't get pushed around um, with the Patriots' rushing attack, we can keep the game close. We can get a little bit of a lead and force Mac Jones to be uncomfortable back there. Um, So I think down the stretch – Buffalo is going to be able to get ahead and win that division out in the AFC East. I mean, Mac Jones could have stayed in the locker room and they would have won that game. Mm. Um, and I know the circumstances of the weather and the wind, and that was that was all a factor. But I also think that the underlying thing in that was just he outcoached him. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I could just tell how much that game got to Sean McDermott and how much Bill Belichick was basking and the fact that he just bullied him coaching-wise, and I think that they meet up again, I think the same thing is going to happen. I want to talk about something in the NFC that's really interesting to me. It's Bruce Arians, the attorney. He's confirming that both Antonio Brown and Mike Edwards are going to be reinstated after serving their three-game suspension for their fake vaccine cards. And I'm curious, you know, Bruce Arians gave... Antonio Brown famously a one strike and you're out policy when they re-signed him last season. And obviously this is a strike, but Bruce Arians says now, hey, I met one strike in 2020, then he gets another strike in 2021. And in the end, my job is to win games as a head football coach, not to be the morality police. So as long as Antonio Brown is eligible, we're going to take him back because we really need receivers right now. Does that surprise you? Does any piece of that information surprise you at all, Joe? Honest question. No. The only thing, honestly, the only thing that surprises me is that all these people are A, surprised, or B, outraged that this happens. Because people don't realize that the NFL is not a not-for-profit. They're trying to win games. They're trying to make money. Just like when the NFL was trying to move games around this weekend to try to get as, as much football in so that they make as much money as possible. It's a business. Like, that's their mission. When have they said that they're a not-for-profit business that's looking out for the well-being of the players above any other profit motives? Just like with Bruce Arians, since when has he said, you know what, I'm a high school football coach, and it's more about delivering proper values to all of my players, to the fans of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I don't really care as much about winning. No, his job is the head football coach, and whether he keeps that job or not depends on if he wins or not. And having Antonio Brown on the team allows him a better opportunity to win, especially consider the injuries that he has at receiver right now. And so production breeds tolerance. With Antonio Brown, 
He's going to give them a lot of production, so they're going to tolerate him more. And Bruce Arians is much more likely to twist his words and become attorney Bruce Arians to <laughs> explain to us why he's going to give Antonio Brown a second chance, even though he just said last season that he's only going to give him one shot. Yeah, yeah, one one shot for sure. Maybe he meant like uh, one target per quarter. I don't know. We're going to give him one deep shot per game, and if he doesn't make the most mm-hmm. of it, that's it. No, so I, I, this is... Now, we're going to go down the rabbit hole here, which is good because we're on a podcast. Um, not going to go too deep, but, you know, we all, I, we always say the example, Mike Pettin, who was our coach in Cleveland, he would say, if you want to know where you stand with the organization, show up to the team plane after the time that I gave you. So he would say the plane leaves at noon. If you want to see where you stand with the organization, show up at 12.01. Joe Thomas, the Hall of Fame 10-time Pro Bowler, if he shows up at 12.01, the plane is still going to be there. If, you know, Andrew Hawkins, the, uh, you know, 5'7 slot receiver with bad knees shows up at 12.01, he's probably going to find his own way to wherever the game is. But the other part of that is, I think it's also weird that we trick ourselves into believing that professional athletes should be the role models. Now, I think there's a responsibility as human beings to be good people. We both subscribe to that notion. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that ultimately all they care about is whether you are good at football or not, because that's why you're in the position you're in. There really isn't a prerequisite for you to be like a great person. I also like I, I used to hate when they made us dress up in suits. I agree to go play games. I thought it was the <laughs> stupidest thing ever. I thought it was dumb. It is dumb. I'm like, so I got to wear I got to go spend seven hundred dollars on this suit, this shirt and tie. These nice shoes. Because you want to dress me up for me to go to a, another city and run my head into another person. I always thought it was funny that they made us dress up in suits to travel when our business attire is tight white pants and uh, athletic shirts underneath a jersey with a helmet. It makes no sense. We're not going in on the field in a suit, so why would I dress up in a suit to travel? It was the dumbest thing ever. Like, I, I do my actual job... Sweaty and tights. Yes. Why on earth do is it a prerequisite that I dress up like I'm going to negotiate uh, with the United yeah. Nations? This does not make sense. So I think that is stupid. And again, it doesn't surprise me that ultimately when Air, Bruce Arians is a receiver, he's going to look past anything that's going yeah. on with Antonio Brown or any player that helps him win because that's why he's in the position. He was just born with ability. That doesn't make you a good person or a role model or anything. I'm going to push back. You said all they care about is how good that they can play football or something like that. That was me paraphrasing. But that's not all they care about. They're just, they care more about how well you can produce on the football field. And that's why I like the production breeds tolerance quote is because that's exactly what it is. It's not that if Antonio Brown could produce at all, they were going to keep him around. But it just so happens that they really need him right now. And they need that production because... If Bruce Arians goes and this team folds down the stretch because he cut Antonio Brown and didn't bring him back and they have no receivers, people are going to remember that a lot longer than them remembering him saying, well, Antonio Brown's on a one-strike policy and, well, we're going to give him two strikes this time. Like, nobody's going to remember that after this week. But they're definitely going to fire his ass if he fails to make the playoffs and we see more shutouts like we did last weekend against the New Orleans Saints from this Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. So it's not that they don't care what type of a human being you are, but it's just way more important 
what you do on the football field, and they're going to give that cost-benefit analysis between what you can produce on the football field to what kind of a teammate you are and what kind of a person you are. And the better you can do on the football field, the more they're going to tolerate you being a turd. So they do all care about you playing football, right? That's not all they care about. Okay, okay. It's okay. more important, certainly in the hierarchy of... In the pie chart. Give me the pie chart. The pie chart is like 99% <laughs> what you can do for this football team and 1%. Like, not to go into extreme examples, but... Uh-oh, here comes an extreme example. There was some players in the NFL in recent memories, like Aaron Hernandez, that were really, really, okay. really bad people. And as soon as like some of those allegations came out, they got rid of them because that 1% was so bad that it completely superseded yeah. anything that you could do on the football field. So they got rid of them. But in the eyes of the coaching staff, hey, the vaccine card faking it. It's about to serve a life sentence in jail. That was also availability, I guess, is also the 1% that we should take into account. Yes, but they got rid of him before he was guilty. So technically he could have played while he was going through his trial. But in the case of a fake vaccine card, it wasn't bad enough in Bruce Arians' mind to supersede or to hang a dark cloud over what he could provide for the football team. Because I think on some level, it does make sense. Like, we're not going to punish Brady and this entire team and all these coaches because Antonio Brown came up with a fake vaccine card. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 I guess we, we agree mostly on this. It's also, probably a 99% agree and probably a 1% difference between you and I. We went a lot of places there that we probably didn't intend to go. Along those same lines, Joe, after 13 games, just 13 games for the Jacksonville Jaguars, they have let go of their former head coach, Urban Meyer. We haven't gotten a chance to talk about this at length. Joe, you and I saw this coming from a mile away, actually years away. We talked about this since 2018 how bad of an NFL coach Obermeyer would be. Are you surprised that it took them so long to make the decision to ask him to leave the premises? Yeah, I think anybody who understands the stark differences between what it takes to be a great college coach versus what it takes to be a great NFL coach would understand that the things that made Urban Wire one of the greatest college coaches of all time were he was a tremendous recruiter, he was good at filling out his staff, and he kind of lorded over his players with fear, and that's how he motivated them. And that works great in the college game when you're dealing with 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. But those are not things that really play in the NFL game. In the NFL game, success happens when, as a head coach, you are a guy that has a great X's and O's scheme on offense or defense, sort of like one of those gurus that schematically you're just putting your players in a better position than everybody else you go against. Think of the Bill Belichicks, the Kyle Shanahan drinks, the Sean McVeighs, like those guys that are really, really brilliant minds. Those are the guys that win in the NFL level by and large. And one of the big motivating factors for NFL players is when you have good coaches, not only from the head coach, but position coach as well, that you realize they're putting you in a great position to succeed and you're getting a better game plan, you're getting better technique, you're getting better coaching than the other guy. So you feel like, hey, I'm going to have the best opportunity to provide for my family, to be at my best when I go out there because this coach is really good. 
That's how you motivate NFL players. That's not how you motivate college guys. So there was already that disconnect. But also anybody that knew Urban Meyer, or at least knew people that knew him, understood that Urban Meyer was so focused on his job as a college hedge coach, which was part of what made him great, that he didn't pay any attention to the NFL game. So these differences and these nuances between the NFL and the college game were completely lost on him. Like when he showed up in Jacksonville, he thought he was going to recruit free agents when he had no idea that in the NFL, first of all, recruiting is nonsense. Like you just pay people more. That's how you get them to show up in free agency. Well, I mean, that's technically how college recruiting works too, but whatever. What I guess maybe that's how college works too. But, <laughs> um, but the only time a destination or a team really matters much is when the money is kind of close. Then a lot of guys are maybe going to pick a bigger market or a city that they'd rather live in, or maybe a team that potentially gives them a better chance to succeed, which if those were considerations and it was a close, Jacksonville wouldn't win in any of those situations anyway, because <laughs> it's a small market. It's maybe not the most desirable place to live. Yes, they have no state income tax, which helps them a little bit, but the team stinks. So yeah. you're not going to get people to come there to try to win a Super Bowl because they suck. You're not wrong. Um, and also, I mean, I think Urban Meyer, it's like you don't have big time college football program that is a feeder system into millions of dollars the way he had in college, right? He had Florida, he had Ohio State. I mean, he has to be some level of a good coach. Now, I don't want to make somebody he's just a terrible coach. Is he not maybe a great guy at this juncture of his life and, and maybe well-positioned for the NFL? No, but he had one. He won at Utah. He'd won at Bowling Green. He'd won in these places that didn't have a ton of talent, right? So he either is great at identifying talent, identifying coaching, identifying something there is something that is a redeeming quality especially as it pertains to coaching and maybe it's just better suited for college but in the nfl we just knew right away i mean this is a square peg in a round hole by definition this will not work not only will it not work it'll go catastrophically bad because he's going to turn guys off of him not just versions of an nfl locker room where they don't think you're a good coach and then there's versions where they can't stand you and not only do they think you won't succeed they don't yeah. want you to succeed they almost with them, they almost would rather not succeed themselves just because they don't want it to look like you're actually competent. And it started going to that way really, really quickly in Jacksonville. Two quick points. I think one thing that people need to remember that one of the most important jobs for an NFL head coach is hiring a really good staff, right? Because those are the guys that typically are with the players the most and they have the biggest influence over the development and um, the distribution of the scheme and the technique that the head coach has as far as a vision for what that team should look like. And without any NFL experience at all, you're going to have to either hire guys that you don't know at all who have worked in the NFL game. Because remember, there's a big difference between the NFL and college as far as how the game is played and schematics and X's and O's and all those things. Or you're going to have to hire a bunch of college coaches and hope that they can make the leap to the NFL game, um, which those are really difficult things. And so a guy like Nick Saban, who has had NFL experience, who by and large is seen as a very, very smart football mind, I think he's a guy that actually could succeed at the NFL level because even though he kind of rules with an iron fist and he's known for his discipline and his the fear that he instills in his players as a motivator, kind of like a Vincent Barty, I still think as long as the message from that head coach is, hey, I'm really good and smart at football and I know what I'm talking about, those players are going to respect that and you're going to get the most out of them. I don't think Urban Meyer had that. And the disconnect between his understanding of what was going on with his team and the NFL game from an X's and O's standpoint became more stark as the season went on, including one of his last weeks 
as an NFL coach, where he was claiming that some guy on defense was getting more snaps because the media was asking him about him. The player, it turned out, had no snaps in the game on defense. So Urban Meyer didn't even know who was going in the game and who was not going in the game uh, as a head coach. And so I think from a player's standpoint, not only do you have a guy that you might think is a dick who's trying to rule you with fear, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. So you lose all respect and it's impossible to motivate NFL adults that are making more money than you when you don't know what you're talking about. And then on top of that, you're trying to be the toughest guy in the room and you're kicking kickers, punting punters and tackling tackles. Mostly what you said there was right, except the whole Nick Saban thing. He actually was a terrible NFL head coach. Yeah, but he just never had a quarterback. So uh, to me, it's not fair to say that you're a good or bad coach solely based on your record, because first of all, only one only one coach wins a Super Bowl every season. So if your definition is you're a good coach if you win a Super Bowl, well, that means 31 other coaches are failures every single season. Now, I get that that's an extreme example, but Nick Saban was not in Miami that long, and he did not get fired. He left to take the Alabama job because he realized that the NFL game, you can't recruit a quarterback. It's impossible. Like, you just have to get lucky to get the quarterback. And then once you have a great quarterback, then it's all about building that roster and developing those players and free agency and all the other things matter. But it's like a binary question. Do you have a quarterback that's good enough to win you a lot of games and get you to the playoffs? Yes. Then you can show that you're a good coach in other aspects of the game. But if you don't have that quarterback, then it doesn't matter if Bill Belichick is your coach. You're going to have no success. Okay. I'll let you have that one. I feel like I kind of remember people saying the same things about Nick Saban in the NFL that they're saying about Urban Meyer. They were saying the same thing, but to me, the situation was completely different. I think because Urban had no background in the NFL. I don't think any of the players respected Urban because he didn't know what he was talking about. He was not a smart X's and O's schematic coach at the NFL game. Whereas Nick Saban, by all accounts, everybody that I knew that played for him said, yeah, he was a really smart guy. He was really good from like a CEO standpoint, but also he knew exactly what he wanted out of the players. He was just sort of a dick. And when you're not winning, it's hard to be the dick coach because people turn on you really quickly. I mean, I had Mangini when I was in Cleveland, really, really smart football mind, total dick. But because we had no talent, we weren't winning games. And that dick mentality, it wears on you because the stress (laughs) in the NFL is so much greater than at the college game that by the end of the season, you just wear everybody out, including your coaching staff, and then the players sort of revolt, and then you get fired. Oh, thanks for correcting that. All right, Joe, we're talking about guys getting fired, uh, you know, toxic uh, workplace football operations and and organizations. I think it's time to have a little bit of fun, man. Lighten it up a little bit. And with all the drama, it's only fitting that we play a game. And this game is called Fire, Marry, Kill Coaches Edition. The rules are very, very easy, my friend. I give you three coaches. You have to decide which coach you would fire, which coach you would marry, and which coach Hmm. you would kill. Killing coaches. This feels like it's a little extreme, Hawk. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't mean that in in a literal sense. We're talking about killing their careers. So the guy that you fire, he'll always be able to come back, get another job, work somewhere else. But if you kill a coach, that means he will never coach again in the league. You will not see him on TV as an analyst. You won't see him making any appearances. His football career is dead. All right. There's going to be three rounds where we take turns saying which one we would fire 
marry or kill. And then at the end, there's going to be a special bonus round. All right. So first up, Joe, you ready? Let's do it. All right. We're going to do a coaches on the hot seat round. This is the New York Giants, Joe Judge, the Chicago Bears, Matt Nagy, and the Minnesota Vikings, Mike Zimmer. Mm. Who would you fire, marry up to in the organization, or kill off their career? Yeah, this one's easy for me. I would definitely marry Mike Zimmer because he's probably going to get fired after this season, but he's had such a great career as a coach, as a defensive coordinator. When I was with the Browns, we went against him all the time, and he was one of the best in the game. So I think he's a guy that you can definitely marry for sure. Uh, Matt Nagy, I think he's a guy that you fire, but you don't kill him, right? Because he had success when he was in Kansas City. I know it's been an abject failure in Chicago, but somebody had to get fired. And Joe Judge, you got to kill him off. I know he's your boy and you like him a lot, but he's been terrible in the with the New York Giants and he's a Belichick guy. And I've seen this Belichick card trick way too many times. You bring a guy in from the bottom, you let him work his way through the organization. He looks like a genius. He gets the head coaching job and has to go do it on his own. He tries to be Bill Belichick 2.0 and he fails miserably. So Joe Judge, I'm sorry, I got to kill you. Oh, man. Okay, so the Mary one, I agree. I, it, that's an easy one. Mike Zimmer, he's done it for way too long. He is a really, he's a good coach. That is a fact of the matter. I would marry him in this bunch. <sighs> fire. This is where it gets tough. I feel like I would fire Joe Judge. For the brief time I was with Joe Judge, I felt like he had a lot to bring to the table. Now, I couldn't say he was going to be a successful head coach, but I knew he would get his opportunity. I feel like there's more. If I had to, I don't want to kill off either one of these careers, but I would go Matt Nagy just because I've never played for Matt Nagy, but it does feel a little Adam Gacy to me, his his career trajectory in the sense that he was under Andy Reid for a while, and that's where he made his hay and got a lot of his coaching clout, but he hasn't been great in Chicago. It, it hasn't mirrored up. I haven't seen that quote-unquote offensive genius guru that he was touted as under Andy Reid, which makes me think maybe that's Andy Reid's credit that we're giving to Matt Nagy. So I feel good. Mm. Of these three, I'm going to kill off Matt Nagy. All right. You made a lot of people in Chicago really happy. Next one up for you, legendary <laughs> Super Bowl winning coaches, John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, and Sean Payton. Ooh, this is a really, really hard one. All right, I'm going to marry John Harbaugh. No. Oh, this is tough. Okay, I'm going to marry mm. Mike Tomlin. Mm. Super Bowl winning coach. Right? Never had a losing season. I I like the way that sounds. I would like to never have a losing losing season. I'm gonna go with Mike Tomlin there. I'm gonna mm. fire John Harbaugh mm. because he's a really good coach. He bounces back. He's done it with multiple people at the helm. He's been able to change regimes and still be a good organization. This is tough as AFC uh, uh, North to, to say these things. But I'm gonna fire John Harbaugh. He's gonna bounce back, and I'm gonna kill Sean Payton. Mm. I'm going to kill Sean Payton, which sounds crazy, but I feel like of these three, Sean Payton has had the best at that coveted quarterback spot. Mm -hmm. And so if I have to guess which one, you know, wouldn't be able to continue on without their top quarterback, I would say Sean Payton. I don't know. That's a tough one, but I'm going to kill him. What do you got? Yeah, this is this is a tough one, but I'm looking at this one from a Browns players and fans perspective. I'm marrying John Harbaugh. So that means I am stealing him from the Ravens. So he's out of the AFC North. 
he has been one of the most stable, consistently quality coaches in the NFL since he got there. Um, to be able to win a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco and then now get Lamar Jackson and have that team playing at the top of the AFC every single season. He is such a great communicator, I think. He's great. Not only to his players and to his coaches, but he's always getting people on the same page. You see that with their decisions, even when it doesn't work out. Like when they made that two-point conversion decision last week, you could see how the decision-making process flowed from one person to the next. It reminded me of a great general, a wartime general, who just is so good at communicating to all the troops on the battlefield, getting everybody on the same page. And he's a fun coach to watch, even though it's usually to the detriment of our Brownies. <laughs> uh, Mike Tomlin, similar, very similar to John Harbaugh, CEO-type coach, extremely successful, amazing communicator. Nobody is better in a press conference than Mike Tomlin because he doesn't give the media and the fans like insider information, but he actually gives us more than cliches. He's direct. He's to the point. That's just the way he is with his players. So they know exactly what they need and they want and what he wants from them. Did I say fire Mike Tomlin? Because I'm going to fire Mike Tomlin. Okay, you're firing Mike Tomlin. You're marrying John Harbaugh. Fire Mike Tomlin. Get him out of the AFC North. He's an amazing coach, but I got to get rid of him. Okay. John Harbaugh, marrying that guy. Sean Payton, he's the one I'm going to kill because – Sean Payton, in my opinion, I think he's a great coach. Don't get me wrong. I don't know firsthand. Never played for him. Never worked for somebody who worked for him. However, I feel like he just gets a little bit too much credit as like this amazing NFL head coach when he had a Hall of Famer, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, yes. and a lot of talent around him. And he only has won one Super Bowl. And he had some seasons where he was under 500 with Drew Brees as his quarterback. So out of seven and nines, I'm I'm killing off Sean Payton, and I think that's an easy one. I like that. Sean Payton has also had a, a couple of scandals. He's also had really good teams that fail miserably in the playoffs, like historically. Like these are teams that should win. Yeah, why doesn't he ever get dinged for that? I don't understand that. There's like this love affair with Sean Payton that I understand that he, he gave the Saints a Super Bowl championship and he brought him back after Katrina. But to me, he doesn't get enough blame when it's when it doesn't go right necessary. And he gets way too much credit when he had Drew Brees for all those years. Yeah. No, I, I don't think you're wrong. He has a movie coming out on Netflix, too. <laughs> he had a scandal, and that didn't kill him. He came back from that, and now there's a Netflix movie yeah. devoted to it. <laughs> a kid's a children's movie. It's, wow. I mean, if that's not Teflon, I don't the know what is. The scandal didn't kill him, but the Tom and Hawk football show finally got his ass. <laughs> we, fi we finally did the dirty work. All right, Joe, next up, we got the Prodigy Edition. Mm. These are coaches in their 30s. We got Sean McVay of the Los Angeles Rams, Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals, and Brandon Staley of the Los Angeles Chargers. So I'm marrying Zach Taylor because I think he's done a great job building up the Cincinnati Bengals organization. I think he's done a great job putting Joe Burrow in position to succeed. Okay. I thought it was awesome that they drafted Jamar Chase. I know that maybe wasn't his decision over offensive linemen because to me, having a top-tier pass catcher like that is more important than protection. And I actually thought the offensive line was doing a pretty good job, but Burrow just didn't have guys to throw it to. So that one made sense to me. Um and I thought he did a good job weathering the storm. I mean, people were talking about firing this dude after last season, and all of a sudden he's got him turned around, and they may be the favorite right now to win the AFC North. Uh, Sean McVay, got to fire him. Okay. And it's not because of anything he's done coaching-wise. I, I love what he does. I love his scheme. It's a Kyle Shanahan drink scheme. Um, but I hate his 
soup commercials. I think <laughs> it is treasonous to not have fat offensive linemen and a quarterback and, and the quarterback's mother on the, the chunky, soup, chunky yep. soup commercials. And the fact that Sean McVay is on there, it hurts my heart every time I see it. I actually have to turn it off get rid of or him. turn my head because it's so disgusting. So, And then I think Brandon Staley... They have made this guy into the next Bill Belichick a little too quickly. It is really fast. I think he might be a good coach, but I'm not sure. Like the the jury is still out, but he's getting so much credit, and he's got Justin Herbert as his quarterback. So uh, Brandon Staley, sorry, got to kill you. Yeah, the Brandon Staley is definitely crowned way, way too soon for for my liking. Yeah, man. All right, I'm gonna marry Sean McVay. I mean, this is a guy who's already been in a Super Bowl. He's like 22 years old. Um, he's a child and he's doing it. So Sean McVay got a long shelf life ahead of us. I am going to fire. See, I'm trying to separate how the, the quarterbacks for these teams are playing from the actual Mm -hmm. coaching. Good luck. And Sean or Brandon Staley hasn't had a long coaching career, but it's been good so far. So I'm going to fire Brandon Staley. Mm. which is a weird statement, but in the context of the game, it makes sense. I'm going to fire Brandon Staley because Zach Taylor, I've seen it when it was really bad with Zach Taylor. It didn't feel like it was building. They're playing well, but I feel like a lot of that, most of that, the same pie chart we gave earlier in the Mm. show, the 99-1, that's Joe Burrow being (sighs) Joe Burrow. And I feel like he's lucked up into that. Not that he's not a good coach. He probably is a great coach. I haven't coached for him. Or played for him. You know, But there were times previously before that where it just doesn't make sense. And a lot of the coaching, the reason why people were calling for their firing, I feel like was warranted at that time. So I'm going to kill off Zach Taylor in this bunch. And I, we probably also should have put Brian Flores in here. I guess he's not 30. So I think he's 40. But then that would have been four. So we would have had to done something really dirty to the last person. If we've already killed, married, and fired one of them. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine? <laughs> drawn and quartered. Who would you like drawn and quartered? <laughs> Jeez. All right. Surprise bonus round. What we're going to do is we're going to take the coaches we married in the first three rounds, lump them on to a fourth round, and then play the game over again. Fire, marry, kill. My coaches were Zimmer, Tomlin, McVay. I am going to marry Tomlin. Again, I don't like to lose, even though I've I've done it a lot. Uh, so I'm going to go with Tomlin. I am going to fire... Oh, this is tough. I'm going to fire McVay. And I'm going to kill Zimmer, unfortunately. Zimmer's an incredible coach, too. I can't, that cannot be overstated enough of what he does defensively, his track record, even what he's been able to do with the Minnesota Vikings. But I got to kill him off. He's a little older, so I have a longer shelf life with McVay. But McVay will bounce back. All right, Joe, what do you got? Who are your three? All right, my three coaches, Hawk, were Mike Zimmer, uh, John Harbaugh, and Zach Taylor. Uh, difficult one, but I think Zimmer is going to get killed mm-hmm. because he's the coach out of those three that's going to get fired the soonest. And he really hasn't proven if he can be the head coach uh, or not because he's had largely a 500 up and down career in Minnesota. So <laughs> kill that guy. Um, I'm actually going to marry Harbaugh. I think he's a tremendous coach. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL year over year, no matter what the adversity is. This year he's shown it again. He could be one of the coaches of the year when it's all said and done if the Ravens are able to win the AFC North and get into the playoffs because they've been completely decimated with injuries and he's able to get that team playing solid football every single week and getting them into the playoff consideration, even in December when he was lost Lamar Jackson. 
who at up until that point, everyone said, well, Lamar Jackson's there, so he's everything for the Ravens. It doesn't really matter what is happening around him because as long as Lamar Jackson's there, he can win games. But Lamar Jackson was out the last couple weeks. Ravens still looked really good. Um, so that leaves Zach Taylor to be fired. Sorry, you just haven't had enough success to be able to survive this round, uh, this bonus round of the Tom and Hawk football show. Marry, fire, or kill. I want another question for you. All right, so we both have Zimmer in the first round, but the second and third rounds were different for us. I had Tomlin and McVay. You had Harbaugh and Taylor. If you were starting the Joe Thomas organization, the Wisconsin, what's your McCollets? Um, yeah, they're going to be dominant. Who would you rather have coaching your team? Would you rather have Tomlin and McVay or Harbaugh and Taylor on your coaching staff? Oh, um, I would say Tomlin and McVay, right? Because Tomlin's a defensive-minded guy. McVay's an offensive-minded guy. Both had coaching experience. I mean, that would be a hell of a coaching staff, right? If you got Bill Belichick as the head coach, you got Mike Tomlin as the DC, and you got Sean McVay as the offensive coordinator, you might never lose a game. Well, what about – so Zimmer is our, our D coordinator Oh, on right. both scenarios. That's our okay. D coordinator. Head coach is mine is Tomlin, and my OC is McVay. Your head coach is Harbaugh and your OC is Zach Taylor. Which coaching staff are you taking? So we already talked that John Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin are like clones of each other. They're both guys that are the CEO coach that are tremendous communicators. They're really good friends too. I don't, I don't know if people know that. Like they are like, I actually didn't know that. They're really good friends. Like I, when I would go to the combine every couple like years or whatever, and they would just, they, they, them two hang out all the time. They're actually really close. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because they do have so much in common and they see each other so much. It's kind of like you and me, both uh, tall, handsome white dudes that played offensive yeah. line for 11 plus seasons in the NFL. We got everything in common. Of course, we're, yeah, we're be good friends. We're saying um, I would take Sean McVay over uh, Zach Taylor be- just because of the experience issue. He's been around a lot longer. He took a team to the Super okay. Bowl. Um, and Zach Taylor, although he looks like he's maybe headed in the same trajectory, he just hasn't done it yet. So I always take guys that have been there to draw me a map versus somebody who's never been there to draw me that map. I love that you just, out of your own mouth, say I won. So that's good. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> it's your Christmas miracle. Thank you. All right, that does it for today's episode of the Tom and Hawk Football Show. Tune back in again next week. And don't forget to add the Tom and Hawk Football Show flash briefing in your Alexa app. And then tell Alexa, play my flash briefing to hear the Monday minicast through your Echo device. Joe, you got any closing thoughts for me? Yeah, it was an up and down week, and uh, I'm not sure if you knew, Hawk, but I have a cousin that was a clown, like, you know, one of the ones that uh, gets paid to show up at the circus, and he passed away this past week, and all of his clown buddies showed up to his funeral in the same car. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed. I wasn't sure this was really a cousin who was a clown who died. Like, oh it worked perfectly. Oh, goodness. All right, Joe, take us out. Joe, hawk yourself and have a Merry Christmas.